Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. Joel, good afternoon. Howdy, Eric. How are you today, sir? I'm okay. I'm a little tired, but uh, in a good way. I, I spent uh, many hours into last night uh, catching up with some old friends from my previous community in Omaha, and they're an hour behind me. So uh, I was up late, but it was fun. How are you? Fine. Were you showing off the new bourbon shelving or something? I wasn't showing it off, but I would say I was partaking of things that are on said shelves, yes. I see. Okay. Well, that that (laughs) explains it. Are there any of those bourbons that you have decided, no, no, thank you, you will never buy another bottle of that? Oh, yeah. I thought you were going to go the other way and say that I'll never open because, you know, they're too rare, too expensive. And the answer to that is no. Um, that they're there for drinking. But but uh, yeah, I've definitely tasted some that I have not liked and do not need to own again. You rascal, you're going to cancel those bourbons? I can't believe it. <laughs> I see what you're doing now. <laughs> I see. Today's topic oh. for all of you, uh, we had some ideas for topics come in to us from uh, some it's- of you, our friends and beyond. And One hot topic going around the world right now, especially the American corner of it, is cancel, cancel culture. Um, Uncancel. Oh, I thought it was going to be bad, bad segues by Pastor Tolbert. (laughs) (laughs) Gee, thanks. I'm doing whatever I got to do to give you some energy, man. (laughs) No, no, we're good. I'm not canceling you. Never, never. So today we but get yeah. to talk real uh, from a religious point of view about is it what does cancel mean and is it faithful ever to cancel or be canceled and did God cancel and what does scripture say about canceling and, and how do we as faith communities practice uh, sometimes canceling or being canceled? Uh, how does all that work through a religious lens? And I, I hope you all enjoy this conversation and we're going to try our best to enjoy it as well. Well, and frankly, I, I don't know that I have any answers, but I'm certainly looking forward to thinking through it with you. And as I often tell my congregants, one of the beauties of real conversations is that I come in with my thoughts, you come in with your thoughts, but then ideally we both leave somewhat changed and learned in the process. And of course, that's that's our goal with all of our conversations. But uh, I think especially this one, because this one has hit home for me this week. I posted just last night, I don't know if you saw it, Joel, but um, I'm sure many of our listeners know that the publisher of Dr. Seuss books have decided uh, not to publish, I believe, six of his books that depict uh, some racist and certainly antiquated, but racist, uh, offensive stereotypes of several minorities. And there's been a lot of hullabaloo about it. And I read a really thoughtful, nuanced piece about it. I'll put it in the show notes. And uh, asked for, you know, I well, I didn't ask for feedback, but I guess by posting it, I was asking for feedback, which is totally fine. And some people, Jews and non-Jews alike, said, well, shouldn't it be up to parents to, to censor, essentially? And um, and I really thought about that. And I, and I was thinking... It, 
whereas I certainly respect the publisher's uh, motivations for taking away something that doesn't accord with what we think uh, is moral and, and in line with who we are today. Um, I also appreciate history. I appreciate um, that perhaps uh, Dr. Seuss changed or, or that he wrote books in different perspectives. And look, thinking on it more, I, I think my preference would be that the publishers would publish it, but with a publisher's caveat at the beginning with an introduction saying, you know, there are racist and, uh, you know, what image racist and possibly painful triggering imagery in this book. And, you know, we don't agree with it at the same time. Uh, you know, Dr. Seuss was a beloved author, you know, so et cetera, et cetera. But where I really got tripped up and I, and Joel, take it from here, please, either following <laughs> up my thought or, or sharing your own, is someone then posted, well, what about Mein Kampf? Should we, you know, quote unquote, cancel Mein Kampf, which of course is the opus, I'm putting that in air quotes, by Hitler that he wrote, um, you know, not only anti-Semitic, but, you know, calling for the death of, of Jews. And so, you know, being Jewish, I think I'm incredibly against censorship, but censorship to me is very different than an independent publishing company deciding on their own not to publish something. Um, it's not the government censoring. And and I, I feel like this this argument comes into play all the time. Oh, they're denying someone their free speech. They're, they're, you know, the woman who got fired off of uh, Mandalorian for tweeting stupid things. It, it, these are private companies and you, your actions have consequences. I'm not saying whether I agree with them or not, but they have the right to do it. It's not censorship. It's not an abrogation of free speech. That makes me crazy when people conflate those. Um, and I hope maybe we can have some clarity on that. But um, yeah, I'm kind of wrapping my head around it. And then we could get to a, you know, some theological talk on this uh, a bit later on. But that's, uh, th th that's my intro to this, I suppose. <laughs> I love it because it, it shows the real world pain and struggle and diversity of ways that this term uh, being canceled or cancel culture are uh, landing on all kinds of platforms against all kinds of media or individuals. And individuals are using this term, cancel culture, abundantly, uh, sometimes semi-consistently, but often just as a flaming insult that they throw out there because they see somebody make a choice or, or make what they think is of as a principled or moral or religious choice, and they choose to no longer consume or participate or publish or support something, and they get ridiculed for being part of the woke culture and the cancel culture that uh, pulls itself some, from supporting anything that they disagree with. And, and you see that kind of insult flying around in America right now. Uh, very seldom do you see people using it for the things that they uh, dislike, right? If they dislike it, they are welcome to cancel it, <laughs> boycott it, divest it, sanction it. Uh, they are willing. They are able to do it, whatever they need to punish or block somebody that they disagree with. But if they agree with it, and somebody else is punishing it or protesting it, then it's quote cancel culture, and it's used as an accusation. 
It feels to me like the freedom to cancel and to remove my consumer support, capitalism, my vote support, democracy, my my support from any company or individual is essentially the same as free speech. Yes, they are welcome to speak. But if their speech or their actions cause a consequence where I no longer support them, I talk to others about the stupid thing that they said and suggest to others that they no longer support them either. That is that is the definition of the founding of our country in a lot of ways. And I don't that's not a religious statement, that's more of a citizenship statement. But it Right, and it, when Aristotle talks about, you know, man being a political animal, that's what politics is, is us figuring things out together. What do we agree on? What do we disagree? I mean, 100 100% So, you know, just to put up some other things that are getting – Dr. Seuss books, yes. Uh, Confederate monuments getting canceled, getting pulled down or not, defended. um, And some people saying, well, they should stay up, but we should put a sign that reminds everybody what the truth was of the Civil War and the Confederacy and what they did. I think that would be – that would be an improvement – I think we should also put up a sign that says this Confederate monument was erected in 1961 after Martin Luther King preached and led a march down down Main Street of our southern town so that people would realize, oh, for a 100 years, you didn't care about the Civil War Memorial. But once people were pushing for equal rights, then you started caring about it and pulling up the old uh, Civil War slave past of the South to try to push back against civil rights. Uh, and that if you want to cancel a monument, is that makes sense to me. But from from some people. And if you want to try to defend it, okay, but you better defend it in its real context, what that monument really stands for, what we really learned from it. Same with your with Mein Kampf. If a publisher is going to choose to keep publishing that, good grief. They better tell the story. Like and the author of this actually came to power and actually killed almost seven million human beings in gas chambers because of their their faith affiliation. Well and to me to me there is a difference, even though I may end up on the same side of the argument, between something like a monument and something like Mein Kampf, in that a monument is usually a in a public space and that decision has essentially been made for you. So if you go to a park or, you know, right near me, the University of Georgia, where there is still a sign outside of the arches that everyone loves to take photographs of, where it uh, talks about the war of succession um, and uh, and in, in kind of a praiseworthy tone. My, my wife knows the words by heart because we always talk about that. Um, and something like Mein Kampf, where I can choose not to buy it. I can choose not to read it. Um that's a good differentiation. The public space where you can't – the only way you can choose to not support it is to not go out in public versus the private choice to participate in something or subscribe to something. I, yeah, I can see that That's difference. Right. And and one thing you said is you know people are free to say whatever they want. It, the way I, I've been putting it as recently is 100 percent, and I have the – right not to give you a microphone to do it. So in other words, and th- and I could be Rabbi Lindera on my pulpit. It would be it would be like inviting a, a Nazi to speak on Friday night services or someone who's Jewish that absolutely 
hates Israel and has no no nuanced approach to it, but just says things that are blatantly untrue or extreme. I have the right as the rabbi not to invite that person to speak to the congregation. That's not a violation of free speech. That's just in line with who we are as a congregation. Um, and it's hard to be religious, to have moral, ethical stands that draw lines, and then to find somebody that's outside those lines and to still have to support them. If, if you do, you don't have a line. So everybody draws lines somewhere. Everybody's canceling something. I could be mad at a, a homeowner because they bought a Samsung TV and say, oh, you're canceling Sony. Uh, but that's there's something about choice that Americans are forgetting. Um, it's like your choice is only good if it's the same as my choice, uh, as opposed to your choice is your choice about a lot of this, and then I get to choose whether or not I critique your choice or follow it. That's it. Yeah, that's really well put. I like that. Um, and for you know, from a religious standpoint, I'm, my first thought is. Certainly, there's this Jewish idea. I think we may have talked about this in the past of Shammai and Hillel are, are debating and, and God comes down and says, well, you and you, both of you reflect the living God, meaning, you know, it's this nice way of saying, you know, you're both holy, you both have integrity, intelligence, um, the, the desire to do the right thing. However, the law goes according to you, Hillel, meaning one of you is right and one of you is wrong. And what what that what Hillel uh, supposedly tried to teach, and one of the reasons why um, all, we as Jews aspire to be like Hillel uh, from the first century, is that Hillel would have an argument b'shem shemaim in the name of heaven. And if you think of most arguments that we get into, and I absolutely put myself in this category as. You know, certainly Emily can tell you um, is so sometimes we argue so that we can be right, so that we could prove a point and be right and have the other person either say, I'm sorry, or I, you're right, I was wrong, as opposed to trying to get at a truth. I don't want to say the truth, but a truth or an understanding. And I where, where I do not... Uh, I don't want to say support cancel culture, but where I kind of draw the line is, are we reacting too much and not willing to entertain a um, a perspective that makes us uncomfortable? And at the first glimpse of its discomfort, we say, okay, cancel it. And for me, one of the things I struggle with, um, and there's been a lot, a lot of posts in my uh, rabbinic uh, uh, Facebook page lately on this, not on mine, but on the confidential Facebook page of, of our uh, organization, Central Conference of American Rabbis. There's been a lot of talk about can we, not can we, but should we use Woody Allen movies as uh, teaching tools in adult ed, which for the past 30 years have been staples. I mean, if you're talking about pop culture and Jewish themes, I mean, crimes and misdemeanors as a prime example of something that's been used in sermons, in teachings, in adult education classes. And there is a whole movement of, you know, why should we lift him up? There are so many other wonderful voices, including minority voices, people who aren't cisgendered, white, millionaire men, right? Um, 
And I, I personally struggle with that. Not because I love Woody Allen films. I actually don't. <laughs> but, um, you know, sometimes I ask, well, where do we draw the line? Which is a cop-out because we do draw the line. Um, you know, I'll confess on this. I, I listen to Michael Jackson music. Would I quote his lyrics in a sermon today? I don't think so. But if there was a dance, if there was a public, you know, if there was a temple dance and we hired a DJ, I don't think I would be so uh, focused on making sure the DJ didn't play Michael Jackson or any other number of troubling things. I would have him not play things with offensive lyrics before I quote unquote canceled the artist. Um, so that that that's where I struggle on this topic. Yeah, it, there was an an ancient theological debate that Christians had to go through, where during the Reformation, particularly where pastors, clergy, were trying to hold the Catholic Church, the one church, accountable. Um, Orthodox Christians will be mad at me for saying that. So, okay, the mother church, the not the first time, right? Uh, tried to hold the mother church accountable to things and reform it from the inside out. Uh, there were some who stayed and tried to hold the Catholic Church, the lower C universal church, accountable to its higher standards that it uh, said it was trying to follow. And then there were others who canceled <laughs> Mother Church and bolted and went out and started their own denominations. Uh, and so that was – we have in our history the the habit of trying to decide, do you hold on, persevere, stay in relationship with, and and try to educate and and awaken – Right there's that woke term, but awaken in somebody that you have a relationship with and a a bond with, a covenant with, to see the world a little differently and to stop doing the harm that they were doing. Uh, versus when do you let go and walk away and discipline them with an absence of you and go try to form a new parallel community that does it better, that does it right. And there were all kinds of debates back then. Hey, if if one of those preachers baptized me, does my baptism still count or do I have to do it again? Uh, as if the act of the heretic preacher is no longer holy. It, uh, and then the Reformed movement, the Reformed theologians said, no, the, the art and the action that came out of that heretic preacher was still an act of God somehow. And and in a way, now this somebody's going to say, "Boy, Joel, this is a stretch, right?" Michael Jackson is messed up, like, and one of the greatest artists of all time, right? So, is there a differentiation between the artist and the art? And I can do that as long as I remember both, like, and separate the two, and not let them become so conflated that support of the art is support of the artist. Or vice versa. I have yes. to remember I, whenever I'm playing it, listening to it, or talking about it to separate the two for my listening audience. And I do think there is a difference between what you and or I choose to do privately or with our friends and family. Like if I invited a few friends over to watch a Woody Allen film, as opposed to it being a congregational event where I'm kind of lifting that up. Um, in a congregate in a congregational sense. 
in, in the article, and again, I, I do promise to put it in the show notes, um, that prompted my thinking on all this recently, they, the author made this interesting link between cancel culture and, and you know, the, the catchphrase that we all love of make America great again, because essentially when most, and, you know, I do not want to put everyone in the same box here, but it seems to be that when there is this outcry for cancel culture, it's, well, what was wrong with Mr. Potato Head? Why, why, why can't we just go back to the way it was? And it's like, it's like, no, we, we are, and again, I'll use that, this word purposefully, we are reforming. We're not going back. We're not making it great again as it's in the past. We're making it great by, continue, by continuing to move into the future and changing. Essentially, those who are against, again, this is what it seems, <laughs> caveat, that those who decry us canceling offensive or painful things just kind of want things the way they are or the way they were. This nostalgia that frankly isn't okay anymore. It's not okay that those books have racist imagery. I don't, and I love Dr. Seuss. As a matter of fact, I've been using the Sneetches as a teaching tool for the last two weeks to talk about people who have vaccines and who don't. If you haven't read the Sneetches, go read it. It'll be very obvious to you. I see you smiling, so you know it. <laughs> That's Jill. cute. That's awesome. I remember as a kid uh, in the you know uh, early seventies, Georgia, Brer Rabbit was still a thing. Oh yeah, and that Uncle Remus, right? That was, and those stories and those cartoons, they were around, and Tar Baby was around. What? What's the Disney movie that you can't see anymore? Yeah. You, um, I, oh my, I I've I can't remember it. But that and if I re, yeah. and if I remember correctly, there was a ride at Disney World based on it that they also completely changed the imagery of. Sure. Um, South something South. Mm-hmm. I think Songs of the sense. South or something like that. Yes, yes, Song of the South, something like that. Yep. And that was we. If you were raised in. Jim Crow South, that looked uh, cute because you had this big, jolly old black man walking the streets with uh, cartoon birds on his shoulder singing a fine song. Uh, And then you realize, oh, no, um, this isn't cute. This is keeping this black man jolly and in his place despite all the oppressive systems we have on him, uh, trying to sell to the world that, see, even when we don't let them vote or sit at our lunch counters or ha- buy a house in our neighborhood, they can still be happy. And, and then you take a deep breath once you see that and wake up and go, oh, no, I cannot tell that story anymore. I cannot even support those who do tell that story. And this is like, you know, to bring it back to religion a little bit, this is like the Israelites being freed from Egypt. And what's the first thing they they want? They want to go back to Egypt, back to where it was comfortable, where they knew what it was. And of course, there's parallels to Shawshank Redemption and or actually, I should flip that. That's Josh Shake Redemption. <laughs> As I like to joke, you've seen the movie, now read the book. Um, 
you know, but th this idea of moving forward, and when when I use words, which we've talked about before, of chuva, of of repentance and growth, it's all about moving forward with the lessons learned. And and for me, the thing about you know, Song of the South or Songs of the South, I, I whichever the title was, and things of that ilk, it's it. I'm not offended if someone loved that movie in its context and time when they grew up. What upsets me is the unwillingness to look at how that might be painful and inappropriate today. I mean, even yesterday, I mean, th this is a little bit ridiculous, but, um, uh, you know, when I go get into things, I go all the way, as you know. So I'm, I'm a member of all these bourbon uh, aficionado Facebook groups. And someone posted a picture of himself drinking um, a bourbon. It's usually like recommendations of things to buy and all this sort of stuff, and um, and the way he and and his eyes looked a certain way in the picture, and he made a, a air quotes a joke about um, instead of being American, being Chinese, and a day later he wrote a, a very genuine apology about it. And, you know, I, I, I meant it as humor, obviously wasn't funny. It, it was a little racist and inappropriate. And all of these people came to his defense about, oh, you know, screw those liberals. People can't take a joke. And it's like, well, that's easy for you to say because you're not the one that's offended. And, and to me, it's that narrow perspective and unwillingness to see beyond it. And if I think there's anything that religion does when it's good, is it lifts up perspective. Self-correction is not cancel. And that's where I I really get so frustrated. CPAC, right? I think it's it's a oh theme was uncanceled <laughs> America last week. That was its theme. So this cancel culture idea, right? It is seeped in deep right now. But when when the Dr. Seuss, like the owners of the estate rights to Dr. Seuss books say to their publisher, we are no longer comfortable publishing these six books that our grandfather or, or you know our ancestor wrote. We understood he was a product in time of that culture but they are no longer appropriate, and we see them for what they were. They have a choice. They can either ask the publisher to edit them or to remove them or to push forward. But their personal principles say, mm -mm, we don't feel comfortable editing them because that wasn't the original art, but we also don't com feel comfortable publishing them. We pull them ourselves. And then people complain that they got canceled. No, they self-corrected. They repented. They turned around, and that is the point of, of our faith community sometime is to awaken each other to the more beautiful reality that we all say we want and, and judge our current reality against that more beautiful one and see what we're willing to let go of to help grow the new. When we do that, we're canceling stuff every time we worship. We are finding something about our creation, our habits, our traditions that no longer point to God and God's coming kingdom. And we're saying, cancel that stuff. Grow something new, God. Um, I'm about to do a new thing. Don't you perceive it? And if we were to say, well, God, stop canceling everything that you did before, right? What, who would we be? We wouldn't be followers of this, of this God. There's a good sermon there. Uh-oh. 
(laughs) (laughs) I've been trying to figure out how to differentiate uh, true, like, uh uh-oh, that's kind of weird, cancel culture, versus, no, that's a a freedom and a right of expression or even a responsibility to, um, to draw a line. And maybe if you're canceling something just because you've got a grudge against it, Okay, that's ridiculous. Um, if you're canceling it because you're holding it accountable, good for you. Um, if you're, yeah, if, yeah, that's one. If you're canceling it to keep power for yourself, the way it's always been, no. If you're canceling something to empower those that that thing has been blocking or shunting, great. Or if you're canceling something uh, to to uh, grow some new justice for the oppressed, great. But if you're upset about something can't being canceled because it protects your unjust system, then forget it. Like, and I'm hearing it used in all those ways. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I think, like with most things, social media is not good or bad in and of itself, but it certainly amplifies this problem because everyone finds out about it. So, you know, when that actress uh, from Mandalorian, which I'm still three episodes behind on, uh, uh, got fired, I mean, immediately millions of people knew it, thought about it, reacted to it. Uh, And if it happened 20 years ago, it wouldn't have been such a – not that it wouldn't have been a big deal, but it wouldn't have gotten the the attention, the noise because of just the way social media works. And, And you and I have been canceled. We have had people leave our congregations because of one thing that we said or did. And, and who? And when we said it or did it, we thought we were being faithful. We thought we were being uh, whatever, right? They heard one thing, made an instantaneous decision about why we said what we said or did, did what we did. And not only us, but the congregation – that we're in, that those individuals cancel their relationship with us as clergy and with all their co-celebrants in the congregation. Uh, and I think about that. Like, I'm mad at those people for canceling right. me and canceling so the I, whole congregation. It, absolutely. And it hurts. And it's so easy to take personally, especially when it is because of something you said, even if you stand by it. I mean, there have been times when I've said something that then got brought to my attention or didn't say something. And it's like, ooh, I shouldn't have done that. But if I feel in my in my heart and with integrity after thinking about it, that it, for my own integrity, I, I, I don't think what I did was wrong. Um, it still hurts, but it's, it's different. Um, but the flip side of that is we stand for something. And I, I don't, I don't mean that in an elevated way, like Joel and I stand for something and nobody else. I mean, any religious leader ostensibly stands for something. And something that I tell my congregants from time to time, which is somewhat um, not paradoxical, but perhaps counterintuitive, as Reformed Jews who have a very wide open tent and we welcome interfaith families and everybody's welcome, is that we are not for everyone. We're not necessarily for all Jews. There is a flavor that I bring, that Reformed Judaism brings. And I, I, in some ways, I respect someone's decision to, quote unquote, cancel us if it's not the right flavor. Now, if it's because of one sentence of one sermon and that happened to be the one time a year they went to services, 
totally different story. <laughs> um, but we are not for everyone. I'm not for everyone. And um, that, you know, that perhaps this goes into kind of practical clergy matters too a little bit. But, um, you know, sometimes I think about how <laughs> as a thought experiment, I, I don't want to offend anyone or make anyone scratch their brow, but, you know, very rarely does a um, religious community cancel a member. And sometimes, I mean, thankfully, we have a, a pretty healthy congregation here in Athens, but there was a situation in a previous congregation where we effectively had to kick someone out of the congregation yes. um, for just, you know, toxic behavior and, and actions. And that's sad also. And there's a long process that you go through to avoid that. Right. You you oh, have yes. intervention conversations and you get third parties and you try mediation and and you do co-listening sessions. And, and w I don't know if that's how it is for us. Right. But but if you get to the point where the other person's behavior and, and inability to awaken to what our community standards and boundaries and principles and priorities are. OK, then the choice isn't to cancel them out of the congregation. You are recognizing their choice to cancel the communal responsibilities. You're just documenting it. And so I've, I've said to a congregational leadership before, hey, you're not kicking anybody out. They already they know where the lines are. We've been really clear about that, and they just insist on standing outside them. Where they stand outside the lines is what has them outside the lines. We're not canceling them, right? We're not Demembering them. I like, I like that kind of semantic distinction. Yeah, they demembered themselves We're, by going so far outside the line. And that's very scriptural. The, all the prophets, when they come and challenge the leaders and say, hey, the people of God are outside of God's boundaries. You are forgetting the widows, the orphans, and the, and the immigrants. You are over not. Over and over again. Yes. And, if and, and it's not about God canceling. Israel, it's about God begging it, the people of Israel to get back inside the communal boundaries. And when they don't, there are consequences. And those consequences aren't God's canceling of them. Those consequences are on them for the their uh, misuse of the semi-freedom that God gave them and how they would govern each other and, and politic and do economics and do hospitality. And when they do that poorly, there are natural consequences. We write the stories of the, the Old and New Testament, so Hebrew and Greek scriptures, as if God did it. But the reality is, okay, yeah, God watched it happen, but it's kind of written into the consequences of your actions. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's why, too, speaking of semantics, I even don't like the expression cancel culture because it, it was – it's used by it's used in a very particular kind of argumentative context. It's not a it's not a neutral expression. The point for that I'm trying to imagine and just lift up to so to challenge the quick spouter of cancel culture as if it's a an end-all to the argument is look around you. You are making product decisions. You are making relational decisions. You are making faith decisions and voting decisions all the time. Every single decision you make is, in effect, a cancel. 
of the other options you didn't choose. And if you're going to complain when somebody chooses wisely based off of their religious beliefs or or even their, their straight-up political beliefs, okay, isn't that the point of this experiment we call a, a representative republic democracy? Hear, hear. That's all I can say to that. And, and you know, I'd like the expression to change. Let's not cancel. Let's not call it cancel culture. Let's call it righteous culture, right? Like, like that. That's what I. That's what we're about. We're not. We're not about just canceling things. We're about doing things that are righteous, and that means not doing things that aren't, as you just beautifully said. You know, Jesus- like it's so obvious to me. I, I don't. It just. Right. <laughs> Well, we we probably need to find a way for it not to be so obvious, so we can uh, uh, not right. instantly cancel those who might disagree with us. Uh, Correct. Th- there's this moment where Jesus goes into the temple, and people talk about this all the time, um, and he's really angry. Now he's he's been building up in anger for chapters uh, of of the Gospels, but when he enters Jerusalem and he goes in the temple, and he sees how they don't allow. Um, the money of the city to be used in the temple. There are money changers there, and they charge an exchange rate where you actually get less temple money than you brought in Roman money. And all that was under the theological promise that, well, you can't bring Caesar's face in here. He can't be on the money in here, so we've got to change it to temple holy money. Um, But then they were exchanging it and shortchanging the poorer citizens. Um, or if you brought your own dove and it wasn't perfect, they'd say, no, no, your dove isn't accepted. Come on in and buy one of our perfect doves for a higher price. Um, Jesus gets really mad at that. And he goes inside the temple. He sees that happening and he goes, oh, my gosh, this was a house of prayer. And y'all turned it into a den of robbers and thieves. And he flips over the tables of the money changers and the the money just goes everywhere. And it's all over the courtyard. And I just imagine the poor people grabbing it and sticking it in their pockets. Right. But he was canceling the culture, the religious slash political culture that took advantage of the poor and that set standards that were not necessarily holy or just, how clean your dove is, right? Or whether your money has the face of Caesar or not. What mattered is the offer of the sacrifice. What matter is how that money gets used to grow kingdom, to feed the poor, to take care of the elderly, right? Whether it has Caesar's face or not, doesn't matter. What matters is how it's used. And he attacked that and canceled that. But he didn't sever his relationship with the temple. He he just, he tried to reform it from the inside and make it healthier. Um, I consider Jesus a cancel culture warrior. (laughs) (laughs) That's the, yeah. And I I think a similar parallel can be said for the prophets and, um, and, you know, modern day people that we look to like Martin Luther King or, um, you know, any, any person that has tried to change the status quo for the better, for the betterment of people. It, especially people who have been marginalized or unempowered in the past. There are other moments where Jesus heals on the Sabbath and religious leaders get really mad at him and the crowds for coming to him for healing on the Sabbath. And he turns to them and he says, you hypocrites, you untie your ox and give it water on the Sabbath. You let it go out to graze on the Sabbath. Why would you not let this person who's been suffering with their ailment for years 
come to me and get healed on the Sabbath. You hypocrite. And it was that his ability to cast hypocrisies that lifted up where canceling <laughs> might be appropriate. Um, but what I find in the use of cancel culture around me lately, or maybe even sometimes from me, is the inability to sense the hypocrisy. Like, it's okay to cancel that, but not this. It's okay when, when those people cancel something. It's not okay when those people cancel something. I, mean, I heard there was a, a CPAC speaker that was canceled. Because he was, there was, yeah, he was an anti-Semitic. He was too anti-Semitic, right? Yeah. So how is that not a cancel culture, CPAC, right? And it, if you're going to do that, good for you, right? That is the right decision. We are all excited right, for you. <laughs> yes, you did beautifully. But then you can't go in and attack counter cult, you know, uh, cancel culture when you actually used it perfectly. There are times when you have to cancel. I'm just glad our listeners, well, I'm hopeful that our listeners won't cancel us. But if you do, it's your choice. No problem. I have worried about that. Yes, I'm putting out a podcast and somebody's going to listen to it and go, nope, he's not my preacher anymore. Thank you for joining us on the Real Religion Podcast today, where a rabbi and a reverend walk into a podcast and talk real about religion. I'm Reverend Joel Talbert, and on behalf of Rabbi Eric Linder and all the Real Religion fans out there, we thank you for being with us today and invite you to send us any feedback or suggestions or topic ideas to realreligionpodcast at gmail.com. Until next time, keep it real.